nearly two weeks into the new year. You probably didn't think about that, but welcome to two weeks into the new year. So, Some of us here are, are changing because you set New Year's resolutions, and, and some of us here are also not changing because we set them and we broke them, or we just didn't set them at all. And, and um, For some people, and I'm sure you fit somewhere in this, is you, you probably... Uh, you may enjoy change, or you may really um, run from change. For some people, change is like an intruder that you want to chase out of your house and um, with a shotgun. And it's like you would rather avoid <laughs> changing anything. And uh, but but then some some of us here, you know, change is kind of like a welcome thing. You're like, come come on, bring it on. I want different things. I want new things. I want to keep innovating. I want to keep creating. And so we're all wired really different when it comes to change. I like us to watch. A, a video clip from um, the diary of a wimpy kid um, shows the first day of a junior high school student. Now, that was a rough time for all of us, I'm pretty sure. It shows um, the first day of a junior high school student, um, and he's a growing young man. And his thoughts, you kind of get to hear his thoughts as he grapples with all the changes that are going, around, going on around him and the people um, around him. And so uh, let's take a look at this brief let me just say for the record that I think middle school may be the dumbest idea ever invented. You got kids like me who haven't hit their growth spurt yet, mixed in with gorillas who have to shave twice a day. There's juvenile delinquents. And weirdos. I'm smaller than about 95% of the kids at my school. So thank God for Shirag Gupta. He's an excellent buffer between me and these morons. Hey, Greg. Hey. Fella? Seriously, I don't know what happened to these kids over the summer. Was there a nuclear accident? Science experiment gone bad? Thank God there are a few normal people, or this place would be a total freak show. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can relate to this on, on so many different levels. Um, but because uh, I was like the shortest kid in all of my uh, yeah levels, exactly, exactly levels, low levels. But, uh, you know, we may try to put the brakes on change and the process of change, but it, it's, it's no use. Everything is changing. Everything about us is changing. All of us change. Tomorrow, none of us are going to be exactly the same that we are today. And this is just the way that God made life to work. Is he wired and changed. We're born into this world, and immediately we start growing. We immediately start changing. And if we're healthy, then we grow and we grow until we're mature. And it's the same way in our physical lives as it is in our spiritual lives. If we're spiritually healthy... Um, then we're growing. We, we keep changing for the better, and we become more and more mature in the way that God would desire. Um, even though at a certain point, our bodies, our physical bodies, kind of hit the peak. And I don't know what, what point that is where our bodies hit the peak and then they start going downhill. Um, the scriptures say that though we're wasting away, um, meaning our physical bodies are wasting away, Spiritually, the scripture says we're being renewed every day, like we're being renewed more and more. And that's because he's changing us. He's growing us towards full maturity. That's his desire for us. And at the very heart of what God wants to grow in you 
is faith. We sang about it the first or uh, the last two songs. We we sang about how God wants to grow our faith, and it growing our faith is is a key measure. It actually may be the key measure for our spiritual growth. That that's what God really wants. Uh, why is that? Because faith or trusting in in Him is at the very center of our relationship, and, and for that matter, faith or trust is at the center of every key relationship. We build on trusting people. We build a relationship based on that. If you have faith in God, it's that you trust that he is who he says he is. You, t- you take him at his word. And then you also take his promises for what they say. For what he says they will be, you, you trust in his promises. You trust that he is going to deliver on what he says he, he plans to do or what he um, has, has told us will happen in life. Imagine, though, for, imagine about your life. How would your outlook on life change if you had absolute faith, if you had absolute confidence in God? What, what would look different about you? How would it help you as a parent? For those of you who are parents, how would it help you as a parent to put your complete confidence in God? What would that look like? To totally trust God and his promises. How would that shift or tweak things that you're doing tomorrow with your children? How about for those of you who are students, how about in your approach to school? If you had complete faith and confidence in God, how would that um, maybe tweak the way you would attend your classes, the way that you'd focus on your studies, or just approach your overall um, career planning? Wouldn't it be amazing? It really would. To, to completely trust God that he would even leverage the worst things in our, in our lives, that he could leverage all of the junk in our lives that we deal with even for our benefit. God can do this, but faith is something that is required for us to really see those things and imagine those things could come to pass. Um, but it's at the top. Faith is at the top of the the list of what God wants to grow in us. It's it's the thing that He wants to change in our lives through the years. He wants to develop within us a growing faith, and so it's crucial that that God uses catalysts to grow our faith. The catalyst is this. Here's a couple of definitions. One is, it's a substance that enables a chemical reaction to proceed at a usually faster rate or under different conditions than at a lower temperature than otherwise possible. Uh, second definition you'll find in Webster's is, it's an agent, a catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. So in this series, what we're going to do is, we're going to be looking at five things that God uses to provoke or speed up significant change in our life. These are catalysts, the catalysts that he introduces to grow our faith. These are all aimed at helping us develop in the area of faith. And some of these catalysts are things that we choose, and some of these catalysts that we're going to look at are just arranged by God himself. And he wires them into our life. We encounter them by his great plan. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at why is faith so important? First, what is faith? Let's define it a little further. Why it's so important? And then as you get into the scripture, um, you see that God zeroes in on the idea that he wants it to be growing. Not just that we would receive faith, but then we'd have a, a developing faith. So I want to pray. I know we've, um, but I, want, I just want to pause and, and pray as we continue on. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for a, a chance to look at your word. Thank you for this uh, time that we're able to um, get our direction from you that we would not only just sing your praises and sing back to you what is already true of you, whether or not we declare it, it is true. But now that we just look at your word and we um, try to understand what it means 
so that we could live it out. So I pray that you would just remove any distractions from us and from this room, Lord. Just help us to be able to focus on you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want, you can take out that listening guide. At the top, faith is this. Faith is having complete confidence in God as I handle life's demands. This is a simple definition of faith. The Bible doesn't really have a single verse that has a full, all-encompassing definition of faith. There's not a single verse that really wraps the whole idea up. But it does have some definitions in some verses in its basic nature. And so uh, what you get in, in Hebrews chapter 11 is you get one of those simple definitions of faith. And then what it does is it, give us, it gives us some living pictures that really flesh out how does faith look in, in real people? What does it look like? The writer of Hebrews, what he does is he devotes an entire chapter to faith. And then the book itself, the book of Hebrews, it connects some of the Old Testament principles to characters and, and uh or to principles, it connects Old Testament characters and stories to principles in the New Testament. And so look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance, that word can be also translated as confidence. Of things hoped for, the conviction, conviction is proof, it's evidence of things not seen. Whenever faith is used as a verb, which it's not here in this verse but whenever faith is used as a verb it's an action word you put your faith in or you put your trust in someone or something you rely on someone or something that's when we think of faith as a verb it's it's an action that we choose towards someone or something you know i put my faith in a stool i put my faith in a chair put my faith in you know the fact that my car is going to turn on um when i was up in san jose over the christmas break i had a chance with my kids to take my mother-in-law out to breakfast one morning and i had one shot this is like i love going out to breakfast i had one shot for a really good breakfast and so what i do i call my uncle henry because my uncle henry's lived there all his life in san jose and he he he's a guy i put a lot of faith in when it comes to food recommendations and i trusted him to give a good recommendation on a breakfast place and he said josh holders country in and you know what he nailed it. <laughs> he nailed it. It was so good. And, and, and I had faith in him in, in the verb sense to give me a good recommendation so that I would not waste a meal, you know, or money. I didn't want to waste those things. That's how faith looks as a verb. You, you trust or you rely on someone or something. I texted him back. He nailed it. He said, you know, and you doubted me, you know, like, no. I mean, he's reliable when it comes to that kind of thing. In this passage, however, faith is not used as a verb. It's used as a noun. The faith, it's really the faith frame of mind is being described here. It's a noun. What does it look like in a person? Um, In other words, as you deal with the flow of life, as you deal with uncertainties and change, you have a certain understanding of who God is that doesn't get shaken by circumstances. You have a confidence in God that does not change based on the outward circumstances that are spinning a practical example of this is if you were five thousand dollars in debt and you were a debt-free person all of a sudden you find yourself five thousand dollars in debt and now you're extremely worried about it but you knew for sure for certain that you were going to receive an inheritance of twenty five thousand dollars sometime in this year ahead wouldn't that affect the way that you look at your debt rather than giving into worry rather than giving into fear and all of the emotions that would come with going from debt-free to $5,000 in debt, 
just knowing this money is coming, I know it's coming, that would impact you. So often what we do, though, is we just stare at our current set of problems and we we fail to see um, the unseen. But whenever faith begins to develop in us, we see and we become certain of unseen realities. Here's another example, heaven. Um, Heaven is, you know, the Bible paints a very clear picture of what heaven, uh, or a clear picture of heaven. There's no sorrow, no pain. It describes some of what it looks like. There's peace, there's fulfillment. Everything that we want and we work for and things that we desperately desire on earth, you know, there's so much of it that is there. There's so much that is we will experience in heaven. And in reality, we are all residents of the future, but we're living in the present. It's really hard to get our minds around that. We're all residents of the future if you're in Christ, but you're living right now in the present. How would your perspective change regarding your burdens and your challenges if you were convinced that, that this life was just a rehearsal for the next? That requires a measure of faith. That requires a growing faith. Because this life is only the front porch of the real life that is coming in eternity. Again, that's, that's faith. That is why faith is so important to God and why he wants our faith to grow is because it makes a major difference in the way that we live in the present. How do, how do we do life here and now? And so what we find out, second, is that God rewards those who live by faith. There are rewards. There's, he commends, he's pleased by those who live by faith. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 1. And verse 2 says, again, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2 says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. Their commendation. Whoever lives by faith is commended by God. If you live by faith, that's pleasing to God. In doing this, um, and these people that lived by faith that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, um, they lived out things that were important to God. They lived out God's values. If you were ever involved in sports and you had a sports banquet, the coach, he would give out awards, right? At the end of the season, he'd give out awards. And, and it was various athletes would get awards, but usually you'd get, he'd give out awards to the MVP, the most valuable player, the sportsmanship award, and then the most improved player. Um, or the most improved. I don't know if it was called most improved player, but most improved. And, you know, this is what is important to a team and making a team work is ability. You need, a, you need someone who's really good. You need an MVP on the team. You also need teamwork. That's why sport, sportsmanship is important. And then you just need improvement. You need those ingredients make for a winning team. And, and God, in this um, description here, he's showing us through this co- commendation what's highly valued in his eyes when it comes to life. These are the things that get all the awards. These are, the, these are what really gets the rewards as well, is faith, a growing faith. This is what makes life work. And you, you could take some time on your own to really work through all of these stories, and I'd encourage you to do that. Start in verse 4 and just start reading. Who were these people? What did they do? What did they believe about God? These are the heroes of our faith. And it, but it would be great if God just gave faith to all of us in abundant supply, like boom. You know, you commit your life to Christ and then, Whoosh, he just he sends faith your way and he fills you up completely. I, I wish that were the case. I mean, I wish I could approach my life that way, my parenting, the decisions with faith, money. I want the abundant supply of faith, you know, to where he just sends it my way. Um, but instead what he does is he gives us opportunities to choose faith all of our life. And those opportunities are, are catalysts. 
Those are faith catalysts. Verse 6, if you move ahead, verse 6, after he talks about two different characters, he says this about one of those characters. He says, and without faith, it is impossible. That word impossible, it's the same root as where we get the word dynamite, but it's the opposite of dynamite. It's powerless. Without faith, it is impossible. There's no power. You're powerless without faith to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, without that faith, though, it's just you can't pull it off. You can't pull off pleasing God. Any person who wants to please God, you can't work your way around God's desire to grow this area in our life, to grow our faith. Sometimes we think better church attendance. Man, that's the new, that's the new Year's resolution that would get God off my back. Just better church. I'm going to be better this year, God. And maybe that's why you're here is better church attendance because I need to get God off my back. That guy won't leave me alone. He won't throw me a bone in life. I, I, so I'm going to just, I'll be there, God. Or, or, God, here, here's a little bit more. Or maybe giving, maybe that's what's going to, if I just give more faithfully or, or more, maybe that would somehow satisfy all of God's requirements. And now, it's not that those changes don't matter, but without faith, they're not enough. Without faith, all of our efforts, we find out, are pretty, are pretty, um, powerless they lack what 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 he would supply and what he would desire look at what charles spurgeon he's one of the most influential preachers of the 19th century he said this about this verse when he was preaching on this verse he said this this is part of his sermon that is to say when he describes hebrews 11 6 do what you may strive as earnestly as you can live as excellently as you please make what sacrifices you choose be as eminent that word means high ranking or distinguished be as eminent as you can for everything that is lovely and of good repute, yet none of these can be pleasing to God unless they be mixed with faith. All of our efforts, without faith, faith again is, is complete confidence in God. That's what we said at the very beginning. Faith, a simple definition. Without faith, complete confidence in God, it's not possible to please God. So we need to be growing in this. So really this series is to really lay out the key things that God uses to develop our faith. The truth is we all have to put our faith, our trust in something. For some it's science, for some it's family, knowledge, religion. What is it for you? Since, since faith is so important to God, this is what he does. He constantly, he tests our faith. He wants to grow it, so he's going to test it. God actually tests our faith. He does this to reveal what we really are relying on. All the tests expose our foundation. It exposes what we're relying on. So are we putting faith in a secure foundation? That's like putting, you know, if you put your faith in God, that's a secure foundation. It's like concrete. It's steady. Or if it's in our own ability, our own understanding, it's like a thin ice. It's like a cracked foundation. Jesus, he was continually looking for what lies within a person. I've got a couple of examples here. He wants to see what's within our heart. He wants to see what's really there what are we building our life on there's something in all of us that desires to grow and and develop especially as this new year begins but we have to decide whether we're going to place our confidence and trust in him something that is sure and reliable that there's evidence and proof or our own strategies our own thinking our own ways Here, there's there's many examples where jesus marveled at a person's faith or marveled at their lack of faith. Here's two examples. First, 
in, in the height of Jesus' ministry, many people were flocking to Jesus, many people were being healed, and there was a direct correlation between the work Jesus did and the faith of those that he healed. And so check out this story in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 10. It says this, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal to him. I, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worried to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then he said, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. That's that means he, he was amazed. He was astonished. And he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Then Jesus told the man, Go home, and you're going to find your servant healed. And he did, and he was. The servant was healed. It would be easy to just skim over this story and miss how this interaction impacted Jesus. This man, the centurion's faith, he had complete confidence in Jesus' power to heal by his word alone. That's, that's, that's faith. And it caused Jesus to marvel because it was so rare for Jesus to see someone operating with faith like this, let alone a Roman soldier. This wasn't like a man that followed him around and uh, had, had roots of seeing God work. No, he just... But Jesus paid attention to this man's confidence in him, and then he rewarded his faith through healing. How, have you, how would we have responded in this situation to this test? How, how do we respond as a church, as a group of people, when trouble strikes? Would Jesus marvel at our faith in the midst of trouble, in the midst of hardship? In the book of Mark, we find another situation where Jesus marveled at someone, uh, but this time the implications are really different. Look in Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. In this place... He's in Nazareth. This is his hometown. And it says, and he could do no mighty work there. This is his hometown where he grew up. And the people there, they knew him. They knew his family. They didn't have the faith to believe that they know that they had known and had grown up alongside a hometown hero. And so he couldn't do any mighty work there, it says, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their, it says he marveled because of their unbelief. That's their lack of faith. They didn't have faith. Here's the people's ability or the, their unbelief actually thwarted the work that Jesus had planned to do. This is really interesting. Their lack of faith. Jesus had the power to do as he wanted, but God has wired spiritual growth in a way that we would cooperate with him, and he usually won't override our will and, and our choices to work with him. That's what we see in Mark chapter 6 here. The way we cooperate is by committing to God's ways and God's work in our lives. We can try to grow our own way. We can try to put our own lives together. Or we can choose to learn from some essential opportunities or catalysts that God sends our way. We can respond to those catalysts and we can grow tremendously. Or we can choose our own path. It would be like us deciding, I'm going to get healthy. So I'm going I'm to go on an all peanut butter diet. Or I'm going to go on an all bacon diet. Or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sleep. I'm only going to work out. And we can blaze our own trail in life. And, but if you choose to blaze your own trail with our spiritual growth and we choose not to cooperate with God, <clears throat> good things don't come. 
But cooperating with God means I need to focus on leveraging the things God has provided to grow my faith. These different catalysts are not entirely exhaustive, but there's five that we're going to look at in this series. Um, and you'll find all five of these in operation in the, in the list of people that you, that you read about in Hebrews chapter 11. So here, here they are. This is what we're going to look at over the next three weeks. Um, he's using all these catalysts to grow our faith. And here's the list of catalysts that we're going to look at. Number one is practical teaching is something that he uses to grow our faith. It's Practical teaching is focused on doing rather than just on knowing. You grow as you live out your faith, not just hear about faith. So you grow as you live it out. Second, private disciplines. We're going to look at that. God fortifies your faith as you hear him speak through reading the Bible and you talk to him in prayer. It's something to develop. That's an area he grows our faith in. Third, personal ministry. Serving people. Stretching ourselves. Going outside of what is comfortable. Or fourth, providential relationships. God brings others into our lives who will help us grow. The relationships with those people around us are a big growth catalyst throughout the course of our life. Depending on who you're connected to, um, that, that determines some of your growth. Small groups. This is why Scott was talking about this is the other half of church life. This is an area that we put a lot of time in. We want everybody involved in because it's, it's a catalyst, a growth catalyst. Five uh, pivotal circumstances. Your response to trouble. God never wastes trouble in our lives, but he wants to use it to grow our faith. Here's one final thought from Spurgeon near the end of his sermon. He said this, Multitudes have confessed the name of Christ and have done many marvelous things, and yet they have never been pleasing to God from this simple reason that they had not faith. We need a growing faith. And these catalysts that we're going to look at are aimed to grow all of our faith. I want to invite our worship team to come up and ask our ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offering and, and ask you to think through what are, what are your next steps. We're going to pull these up here on the screen here. Memorize Hebrews 11.6. That's one next step you might consider. That's the key verse that we were kind of looking at. Apart from faith, it's not possible to please God. Identify the areas Jesus is currently testing in my faith. That's something you can choose as the next step and just mull on that. Pray through that. Consider that this week. Or third, um, attend the rest of this series. Just make a commitment. I'm going to be here. I'm going to engage with this in order to live this stuff out. I'd like to pray before we receive this morning's tithes and offerings. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your great love for us. None of us could have initiated knowing you. None of us could have struck up the conversation with you on our own. You took the initiative, Lord. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and Lord, if you hadn't have taken that initiative, we would have had no hope. But because you have, Lord, because you've reached out to rescue us or for those that have already responded to you now Lord there is the power to change within us it's not ourselves but Lord if we'll cooperate with you and respond to you in the different ways that you intend to grow us and shape us Lord you can do great things in our lives through us and in us you can change us you can change our habits that aren't pleasing to you you can change our tendencies that take us off track change our wrong thinking. You can change our relationships. 
can turn things around, Lord, that we would have said, that's without hope, things that we've given up on. Lord, the power to change is, is in Christ. It's within us. So, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, now we just ask you to grow our faith towards believing and taking you at your word. Thank you for all these people, Lord, for those who are here, even for those that maybe here for the first time, Lord, that are wanting to get on track with you or, or just uh, here to explore what it means to follow you, Lord, I pray you continue, help them to continue the conversation, Lord, with you and even with us, Lord, as a church. Thank you for those that have made this church their home, I pray you continue to use them, Lord, help us to, to work together with you, God, to help more people to come to know you. We pray your blessing over this offering that we're about to receive. Would you use it, God, to further your kingdom? to help us accomplish the things that you've uh, put on our plate for this year ahead. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.